Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast. My name's Jan Orford and I'll be your host today. We know that Australians living in rural and remote areas may have more difficulty accessing the necessary health services to manage their diabetes. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss the impact of geography on diabetes services and education, as well as the cultural, linguistic and socioeconomic barriers that can limit people's access to these diabetes-related services and education. I would like to introduce Bernadette Heenan, who will share with us how she overcomes some of these barriers. Bernadette is a credentialed diabetes educator with the Apuna Pima Cape York Health Council, working in remote Indigenous communities in far north Queensland. She's been providing diabetes education to her clients for the past 12 years on a fly-in, fly-out basis from her home base in Cairns. She's part of a multidisciplinary team who work closely together with local people to help close the gap in Indigenous healthcare. Bernadette was also the recipient of the Jan Baldwin CDE of the Year for 2017. So hello Bernadette and how are you today? Just fine, thanks Jan. I'm sitting here enjoying a glorious winter's day in the far north of this vast country of ours. I think it's probably a little warmer for you up there than it is down here, but I um, hope you're enjoying your time off. For sure. <laughs> okay, Bernadette. Can I wonder if you could um, just tell us a little bit about your experience of delivering services to rural and remote communities. Well, Jan, I first became interested in remote Indigenous health when I began accompanying the local endocrinologist and an Indigenous health worker on their flights to Cape York communities. We would jump on a light aircraft just after dawn, arrive at our first stop, hopefully get picked up from the landing strip by clinic staff, that's if someone remembered we were coming. Then we would deliver services all day, bed down for the night, sharing with whoever was visiting the community, all in together in a health department house or a dorm style guest house. We would do this for three days across three communities and then head home. There was no capacity to follow up on any issues detected, apart from how many clients were seen. This is where my interest really started. I saw the potential to support remote people from our base in Cairns and felt we could do so much more for our bush colleagues and clients. After four years of this, at the end of 27, 2007, I moved to a position as a FIFO, that's fly in, fly out, CDE, and have been in this role ever since. It's a very different model to that initial experience. We try to travel as part of a team, a CDE, a dietitian and a podiatrist, and spend up to three days a week in one community, visiting the same communities regularly, either fortnightly or every four weeks. On the ground, we either work out of a Queensland Health or an Apunapima clinic, which is staffed by doctors, remote nurses, Indigenous health staff, midwives, child health nurses, and an array of staff involved in the social and emotional welfare of the community and its people. Over time, we learn, learn who our clients are through direct referrals or via searches of any available databases. Then we set about trying to meet and greet and empower these same people to live long, healthy lives. Thanks, Bernadette, for giving us some of that background. I just wonder what some of the issues that you've had to overcome to deliver best practice diabetes care in these communities. And also, what resources you've found that are most helpful for you in that setting? Well, first of all, there's the issue of client engagement. We have to actually find our clients. 
We work closely with the local Indigenous health staff and are guided by them as to how best to locate and connect with our client. It might be via a paper invitation telling them the time and dates we're in town, or it might be via a drive to the client's house and a verbal offer, or via a phone or SMS, or maybe even a generic poster outside the local shop. The next thing we have to do is sell our role, but it's not just to the client. So imagine, here we are turning up, all fired up with diabetes zeal, keen to share our message with one and all, and finding each time that there's a new set of nurses and doctors from those we met two to four weeks ago. This can be quite common and is often the next hurdle we have to overcome. In this situation, our first task is to ensure that the RNs and doctors know we're in town, that we visit regularly, and that maybe we already have a working relationship with the client. And we share with them some secrets of our trade. For example, we'll have a HbA1c point of care machine that gives results in six minutes. We also provide updates on anything that's new in the diabetes world, devices, medications, gadgets, because some of these staff have worked remote or very independently for many years and may never have had regular contact with a CDE. Part of this process is also around educating this ever-changing group about best practice guidelines. Some staff come with their preconceived ideas, perhaps thinking that the paleo diet is a cure-all for everyone. What I try and do in all the places I visit is ensure I have a suite of laminated colourful resources plus a large wad of blue tack. I've got my NDSS and food resources, photos of famous people with diabetes, and I stick them up wherever I think I'll be seeing clients. Then I've got another set that I put up in the doctor's consulting rooms. My favourite one is that approach to the management of hyperglycemia from the 2012 ADA EASD position statement. That's the figure that depicts patient-centred approach and individualising glycemic targets. Not all the communities have these rotating staff though. In these ones, I can concentrate on engaging with the client. The next barrier is getting the timing right. The client may have been in the clinic queuing to see a number of health professionals for a few hours before they finally make it to my door. That's assuming I have a door. If we're meeting them for the first time, it's so tempting to fill them up with all that we wish to impart to manage their diabetes. But perhaps we have to be content with five minutes or less, just having a yarn and providing them with a cup of tea. Another option is the shared consult. The client might be happy to see the podiatrist and myself at the same time. Usually they wanna see the podiatrist more than me. Then I become the one flipping in and out of the room, getting forms signed, performing clinical measurements, providing feedback, and the cup of tea, and hoping the experience is positive enough to encourage them to return another day for a longer chat. Again, I have a set of A4 laminated sheets that I use to plot blood pressure or HbA1Cs, or provide brief education on site rotation, hypos, insulin profiles, etc. I'm continually adding to or subtracting from this set. Many of our colleagues refer to the CDEs who travel the Cape as the bag ladies, because we're always carrying numerous bags to house all the resources that we carry with us from place to place. There are a myriad of other issues that surround our delivery of service, but these are usually beyond our control and sometimes of a political nature. So it's best not to waste energy on them. I think you're a very brave soul by the sound of all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, 
Obviously, we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have one of the highest rates of type 2 diabetes and its complications, both nationally and globally. And I just wonder what some of the key principles to be mindful of when delivering services to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients might be. Well, the foremost principle is respect for the people we meet and their culture. Learning about the local people and their customs and history is sure to stand us in good stead and provide some understanding of the barriers that may be present. For example, we need to know how our community deals with sorry business. Are there alternate names that are used when someone has passed? For example, one community I visit uses the term tar pitch instead of the name of the deceased person. So on arrival in community, it's important to make the local Indigenous health staff the first port of call get to know them, find out from them who else you should meet in community, ask them for help in making this happen. Meet the local health action teams if there are any, and even aim to meet the mayor if you can. Maybe get yourself a gig at a local council meeting. Then when it comes to language, acknowledge that English is probably a second language at least, therefore body language may be interpreted differently, and the pitch and tone of our voice can take on a whole new meaning. If you do learn some words of language, ensure they're used appropriately. Always make sure you're dressed appropriately and maintain an appropriate degree of personal space. And introduce yourself in a warm, friendly way. It may be appropriate to share stories about yourself and yarn about topics of common interest as you work towards building a rapport with your client. Remember that long-term relationships are built on trust, respect and honesty, no matter where in the world we're working. And privacy is paramount, though often difficult to achieve in crowded clinics or under a tree. So be careful and mindful of the pitch of your voice, your surroundings and others nearby who may be able to overhear your consultation. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of diabetes education, be positive first and foremost. Remember, most people have usually seen the evidence of diabetes complications in their community and will probably disconnect if you dwell on the negative. Concentrate on what can be changed, not what can't. As always, person-centred care is at the heart of what we do. By engaging the person in their own health journey, we're more likely to see them taking ownership and achieving outcomes. At the end of the day, they have the answers and we're just a conduit. Very helpful advice, Bernadette. I just wonder also, in addition to, to the geographic barriers that that you would see. Some clients may have cultural, linguistic and socioeconomic barriers that can limit their access to diabetes education. And I just wonder what some of the techniques or resources are that you help that you have to help overcome those barriers. Usually your workplace will provide some cultural training prior to working in community, which would help you out in understanding and hopefully overcoming some of these cultural barriers. Once you hit the ground, again, make sure you involve the local Indigenous health staff and work with them to learn what's happening in the community and how best to engage your clients. Remember, aim for a friendly disposition at all times. Be respectful, not bossy. Be flexible around appointments. Time is measured differently in community. And be prepared to work outside clinics, under trees or at homes. And find out about the local transport options is there a clinic car or bus? Do you go to the person or do they come in to see you? And be aware that different tribes or skin groups may forbid conversations between other groups. And always remember that therapeutic cup of tea approach. This may help you to build an ongoing relationship with your client. 
English is often a second language, as I said before, and the local Indigenous language is quite possibly a spoken, not a written language. So pictures and graphs and drawings and making use of technology comes into its own here when you're faced with those linguistic barriers. As CDEs, we're lucky to have access to a number of wonderful resources from Diabetes Australia. Also, there's a number of diaries and booklets produced by various pharma companies, which are helpful. Then there's HitNet, a platform with kiosks in many health clinics around Australia. Its touchscreen technology has stories and information around health issues, relying on viewer interaction to take it to the next step. The Australian Indigenous Health Infonet can link you up with a myriad of other resources. And of course, there's the amazing Feltman, available through Diabetes Australia Victoria. It's a life-size man with various organs and cards, which are attached via Velcros, to take you through the full gamut of the diabetes story. And finally, there's the fun of creating and developing your own resources to explain the stories and results. Graphing HbA1Cs, plotting blood pressures, using spaghetti containers to act as a blood vessel and filling them up with fluffy balls to represent food and smoking and blood cells, etc. When it comes to overcoming socioeconomic barriers, we can find ourselves truly overwhelmed. So just take a moment and sip your tea. All our clients have access to free meters and strips through various companies and the NDSS scheme. Medication-wise, Section 100 or S100 of the National Health Act of 1953 allows for certain medications to be made available free of charge to remote clients. And Close the Gap funding addresses affordable access to medications in urban areas. Family living arrangements often have an impact on clients and their willingness to accept certain therapies. Multiple people living in one house can mean limited space and the presence of a number of inquisitive children of varying ages and dexterity. It's not uncommon for clients to refuse therapies based on a fear that their children will play with the needles, etc. This calls for creative thinking. Where can the medications be stored? How can they be kept out of reach of children? Is there fridge space? Is there a fridge? One of my colleagues came up with a novel approach to this, that's Maureen, out of which grew the insulin bag project. This was the provision of a large cooler bag full of goodies, which we're still presenting to clients who commence insulin. Some clinics offer daily support for the administration of insulin. Clients present for a finger prick and their insulin injection. The advent of injectable weekly GLP-1 agonists has changed this space also and can offer great opportunities to enhance relationships with your clients whilst monitoring the success of the medication. Next is the actual cost of living in these communities, plus access to healthy food or exercise opportunities. So whilst lifestyle change is considered the first line of treatment, in many insta instances, it may be more appropriate to medically sort out glycemic levels first, so the client can feel more physically capable of considering what changes they can make in the areas of food and exercise at a later stage. People's lives are so complex that one person could never hope to provide all the answers. So the multidisciplinary team is always likely to have better outcomes than one clinician working in isolation. Across all these aspects, it's important to remember our roles in educating and upskilling the local workforce about all things diabetes. So whether it's an official teaching session or a quick two minute chat, it's important to take any opportunity that presents itself and share, share, share with our colleagues. 
Thank you. That was an enormous amount of information and very helpful. And I think we'll be putting some of the links that you mentioned up on the site so that members can refer to those because there was a lot of information there. So thank you for that. Many of our hospitals, though, I guess, are also located in cities or large rural areas. Um, are there any aspects of discharge planning that you'd like to see implemented to help assist in delivering services to clients in remote areas? Well, use of the PCEHR, that's the Person Controlled Electronic Health Record, should make this area a little bit less of a minefield. I mean, clients continually assume we know what's happened to them because we all work in health and they get so frustrated having to repeat their story over and over. And sharing information in as many formats as possible is important. Give a copy to the client, give a, send a copy to the referring doctor, send mail a copy, fax a copy to the clinic, and make sure it's entered into any shared electronic health record. And some degree of understanding by staff in the tertiary hospital of the situation that the client is returning to would be helpful also. Putting a client on basal bolus insulin when they've clearly indicated that this won't hurt work out when they return home needs to be addressed prior to discharge. Involving Indigenous liaison officers within the hospital itself could lessen some of these inappropriate situations. I'm not sure if nurse navigators have found across all states and territories, but this is a role that's just blossomed recently locally and I believe will also help in this space. They act as central figures in the organisation and overseeing of care for clients with complex needs. They're sort of like a conductor in an orchestra. Ideally, the hospital staff would also be aware of the services available in the client's community and would reinforce the role that the local CDE can play in the client's ongoing management and care. Thanks again, Bernadette. And I just wonder, finally, what sort of resources or technology do you use to support service delivery and ongoing management of clients in rural and remote areas? And I know you have mentioned some of these already, but if you could just uh, perhaps enlighten us again on that. Yeah, sure, Jan. Well, phone support to both remote health providers and clients is an absolute lifeline. I think half the phone numbers in my phone are actually clients' numbers. So there is always the issue of frequent turnover of mobile phones and phone numbers. Phones get lost, disconnected, borrowed, and the concept of being tied to one phone number is not as important out there. Certainly the ability to upload BGL meters or CGMS devices or flash glucose devices has made a huge difference to the provision of very specific diabetes support, such as frequent medication adjustments for clients on insulin, especially those with diabetes in pregnancy. The client can pop into the clinic, the health worker uploads the device, emails it to us, we can see exactly what's been happening and manage it from wherever we happen to be that day, maybe another clinic, maybe in Cairns. And a close relationship with the nearest NDSS supplier is also essential because you'll be the one ordering the strips and insulin needles. And ensuring these supplies are always available and on hand will make you the go-to person, not just for the client, but for the busy clinic staff also. And when it comes to accessing specialist care, some communities may be visited by an endocrinologist, but otherwise there's always the possibility of telehealth these days. The joys of technology must be making a huge difference for you guys. Thank you so much, Bernadette, for your time today. But just before we finish, I wonder if you could um, suggest what three take-home messages you might have for our listeners today. 
Well, always show respect to your clients and their culture. Be willing to learn from them as much as you want to educate them. This turns our interactions into a two-way learning experience and we both come away richer for the experience. And client-centred care is the cornerstone of diabetes management for all our clients. So make sure you always individualise your approach to suit the person who's there with you. And at the end of the day, believe that your client is capable of self-management. Involve them in their care, be supportive. Know that they have the answers within them to, and just assist them on their journey to empowerment. Oh, and never forget the power of that therapeutic cup of tea. You've sold me on the cup of tea bit. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Bernadette, so much for your time today. It really has been great to talk to you. And I'm sure that this podcast has inspired our listeners to both start thinking about and working towards expanding their skills in this area. And you've definitely given them some great insights into working with clients in rural and remote areas. So thank you so much to also to members for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And goodbye to you, Bernadette, and goodbye to you, the members. Till next time. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. Goodbye, everyone.